You're listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We now bring you pro-life activism from creation to death with Hugh Brown of the American Life League. Good afternoon. This is Hugh Brown with the American Life League. And I'm honored here on Radio Maria to be able to speak to you today on Good Friday. Good Friday uh, is a time where we celebrate our, well, I don't know that we would use the word celebrate. Well, we certainly acknowledge, remember, uh, and think deeply about the passion of our Lord as we lead into the celebration of Easter, where our, our risen Lord came back and has given us uh, the opportunity at eternal life. And so today, I, I thank you for uh, joining, and I'd like to, to speak to you today about what Good Friday has meant to me, uh, to my family, and one of the responsibilities I think we have as a, a pro-life movement, as a uh, as Catholics, um, to use Good Friday as as inspiration, as motivation, uh, to help provide us the the internal strength that we need to confront the greatest evil in the history of mankind, which is abortion. What the Lord's passion means to me. Uh, I'm 53 years old. I really began to know my faith in my late 20s. And reflecting on Good Friday, the, the Lord put me through a process at a point in my life where I, I had a true conversion of heart, born and raised Catholic, uh, Christian, but don't know that I always practiced my faith as, uh, as strongly or understood it as strongly as uh, I do now. And our Lord's passion I can relate to. I can relate to, in a sense, that the suffering of our Lord, uh, what it means to all of us, is that his tremendous sacrifice has given us an opportunity at something better, something immortal, something that we can't even comprehend. I know there have been many saints and priests and preachers and, and folks throughout history that have said, if we could just glimpse, just have even the most brief moment of understanding of what awaits us on the other side. We would truly have a conversion of heart as the children in Fatima had when our blessed mother appeared to them over a hundred years ago and gave these little children a glimpse and an image of hell. And not only did it convert them uh, to, to, to sainthood, uh, but it led Sister Lucia to dedicate her life uh, to, to serving our Lord and to giving us and bearing witness to us uh, a true path of, of righteousness. And in my life, uh, having been born and raised into a family that's very focused in the pro-life movement, uh, our Lord's passion serves as a witness and an example that the suffering we might endure uh, by professing the truth, that the suffering we might endure by the slings and arrows of the world, uh, they pale in comparison to what our Lord suffered. You know, our Lord's agony in the garden where his passion began after the institution of the Eucharist on, on Holy Thursday. You know, our Lord's agony. I often think about Scripture, and the Scripture tells us that uh, our, our Lord's suffering was such that he began to sweat blood. And our Lord sent an angel to comfort him. And I often think and ponder that angel more likely than not was St. Michael. You know, St. Michael, uh, the strength of the Lord, uh, St. Michael, the, the warrior of God, St. Michael, who stood you know, in the face of, of Lucifer, 
the angel of light, who was beloved by God and beloved by the angels, but whose own pride and whose own self-realization began to, to tempt him and then lead him ultimately uh, to turn on the Lord, to turn on, on faith, so to speak. And Michael stood in the face of that, and there was war in heaven, and Michael cast out a third of all the stars in heaven, which I've often said is incomprehensible if you look up on a clear night. Try to count all the stars in heaven and imagine a third of them coming here. Evil spirits, fallen angels. It's daunting. And that's why bringing it back to our Lord's passion, our Lord's suffering, which I would imagine, you know, the scripture tells us that our Lord agonized in the garden. But you have to believe that the, the human part of our Lord, you know, conceived by the Holy Spirit, but born of the Virgin Mary, you know, the human flesh of Christ, he had to at times, perhaps, he knew this was coming. He spoke you know, for three years at different times, as you read the scriptures, about carrying our cross. That was long before the crucifixion. And you wonder what those listening to him uh, felt about that, because they knew what crucifixion was, a horrible reality to the, to the people in that part of the world 2,000 years ago that the Roman Empire inflicted on criminals and, quite frankly, inflicted on their political enemies. So we have to, to know and have to believe that the Lord was aware, clearly aware of what was coming, and it weighed heavy on him. It weighed heavy on him because the human part of him uh, was quite the suffering, quite the sacrifice that he had to endure, and he endured it out of love. And I think that in sending St. Michael to him in the garden, you know, Michael loved our Lord. Michael, he certainly, he had every opportunity when there was war in heaven, when Lucifer turned, he had every opportunity. Uh, to join Lucifer, and he did not. You know, Michael, which means, who is like God? Which was Michael's response to Lucifer, which means, you're not. And he defended heaven, and the devil was cast out. And our Lord, who created us in his image and likeness, was ultimately what turned Lucifer against God. He could not stand the thought of us being made in our Lord's image and likeness, that we were far beneath the Lord, far beneath Lucifer, and we didn't even deserve existence. And we see that in the culture today. We see that in the abortion industry today. Those made in the image like in likeness of God die in the name of choice because they don't deserve existence out of convenience. So now we find ourselves back with our Lord and the agony in the garden. And St. Michael, likely not knowing what awaited our Lord, I don't believe that the Lord, that God had shared with, with anyone you know, in heaven what awaited Christ. Christ knew between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. But you have to imagine that the angels did not. And so there is Michael trying to comfort our Lord, wondering what, what is next. And as our Lord endured his passion, there's a moment in, in his passion, there are multiple moments, where he finds himself in front of Pontius Pilate. And Pontius Pilate asks him, you know, will you not answer me? As he asks him questions. And at one point, the Lord says to him, you know, if I wanted it, I could have 12 legions of angels of my attendants defending me here in a moment's notice. And you have to imagine that perhaps watching what our Lord was going through and being unable to do anything about it 
Michael more than likely had assembled 12 legions of angels and was ready to step instantly through space and time and pretty much lay waste to everyone and everything that was defiling, beating, scorning, cursing, spitting, whipping, defiling our Lord. But Jesus said no. So you have to imagine that Michael, not understanding what was happening, was beginning to comprehend that what was happening from the standpoint of our Lord's suffering was not good. Was not good. But out of faithfulness, out of love, and out of devotion, true obedience to our Lord, he did nothing. He was powerless because of his love and obedience to God. And then our Lord is crucified. And at the moment that our Lord died, it says the the veil of this sanctuary was torn in two, that the earth shook, that the sun was eclipsed, and that darkness covered the land. I would imagine our Lord, you know, went to, he went down to, to hell to free the souls that had been trapped, to free those where heaven had not been opened until the, the death and resurrection of our Lord. And perhaps the splitting of that veil and that earthquake was Michael striking the earth, leading the way for our Lord. Not that he needed it, but Michael, the ever faithful, faithful archangel, uh, an example and a witness to us as Catholic men of how we should lead our families, of how our, our, our devotion, whatever our vocation is, whether we're a single man, whether we're a married man, whether we're someone who, who's a priest, that our singular devotion above all things is to God, no matter the cost. There was no cost for Michael to pay during our Lord's passion, during his suffering. But you can imagine witnessing what the Lord went through and not understanding until perhaps the end what he was going through, that it was hurting him, it was killing him. Um, And as fathers, as single men, whatever our vocation is, we see things in life that might be great temptations to us. We see maybe great suffering in doing things that put the Lord first because we love the Lord and we want to serve our families, serve our community, serve our parish. The Lord has given us such tremendous blessings and such tremendous um I'm trying to think of how to describe it. When we think of the saints and the angels in heaven, the the intercessory power, you know, the Catholic Church, we all know, love, and recognize, and I've grown to appreciate more and more, is built on the sacrifice, the blood, the suffering, the deaths of the martyrs. A lot of the saints suffered immeasurably from a human standpoint. I think of St. Ignatius from time to time who joyfully went into the arena to be eaten by lions 1,600 years ago. And would we do that today? I would ask that the Lord spare us that. But imagine the conviction and the love to joyfully go forth as our Lord, not in joy, but in obedience went forth to his passion and ultimately his resurrection. And on Good Friday, one of the things that I've been thinking a lot about the last week and a half, two weeks, 
thinking about our Lord's suffering, his suffering that really um, is incomprehensible to us as, as, as human beings, but done out of love for us. His suffering is an example uh, so that we might have heaven, so that we might have a, an opportunity at eternal life. His suffering that we want to have the comfort and the understanding and the security of leaning on our, our Catholic faith and leaning on our Catholic brothers and sisters so that as we engage in the world and, and see the horrors of, of abortion, of violence, of, of greed, of hate, of division in our world, all tools of the enemy, um, that as we suffer, not just that we can offer that up joyfully, but lean and depend on one another. And at the American Life League, we have an advisor to our board and someone who has counseled the American Life League and Judy Brown in particular for, for two decades or more, a Father Bill Kaczynski, who is in the Diocese of Wheeling, Charleston in West Virginia. And listening to what I'm about to tell you, you may not have heard about it. Uh, sadly, when horrible things happen, uh, the media usually jumps all over them to exploit them or to help frame something for whatever the particular agenda is. And I've learned that in my lifetime, and that's very sad. But as we see some things in the pro-life movement, and it's even it pains me to actually have to say that, that it has to be the pro-life movement that has to discuss things that are, are just almost unspeakable. In Washington, D.C. two weeks ago, uh, there's an organization and two women, uh, un and it's a, a bit of a, a lengthy story, but two women uncovered the remains. They were being shipped out of a, an, a, an abortion mill in Washington, D.C. of, uh, I believe, 115 children. And I believe that there were four or five of those children that were literally just born but had been murdered. They literally were, were full-term babies. And they ended up with the remains of, of, of these children uh, many of them butchered beyond recognition of the 115. And what what do you do? They contacted the police, but abortion is, is legal. The police literally confiscated the five children that uh, were full term and are now considering pressing charges on the women that obtained them for some nonsensical thing. Because you see late term abortion um, and abortion up until the ninth month is legal in the District of Columbia. So Father Bill Kaczynski, who, again, has been affiliated with the work we do here at the American Life League, and we've been blessed by him for over, over 20 years, I believe. He became aware of this two weeks ago, and Father uh, went to uh, Washington, D.C., and in the apartment of one of uh, the, the brave, heroic women that found uh, the remains of these children that were being shipped out. And I believe it was the a conversation with the actual shipper that allowed them to, to understand what was in these boxes of remains, which were probably being sent to, to a garbage dump somewhere. Uh, father offered up a funeral mass for these children. And LifeSite News uh, released a video and I would encourage you, if you're listening to this, we I'll take a side note for a minute. We live in a world where 
social media clearly dominates certain generations and almost dictates, sadly, uh, popular culture and popular life. And one of the, the media that's often used is YouTube. And I'm sure everyone listening to this has either seen it or is aware of what YouTube is. But YouTube is in the same business as uh, the mainstream media. And they are into, you know, the, the, the world likes to use the word cancel. Uh, it's not canceling anything. It's censorship. Uh, it's censorship and it's, it's dictatorial. Uh, YouTube has gone out of their way to, to censor and to basically eliminate uh, heroic voices life, like LifeSite News. So you can find the video, uh, the, the wonderful video, I believe it's only five, five and a half minutes, created by LifeSite News, interviewing Father Bill Kaczynski on, on this matter on a uh, platform, a website called Rumble, R-U-M-B-L-E. It's, quite frankly, it's an alternative to YouTube, and it's for free speech. They allow all of the voices that have been censored and eliminated in the last two and a half years in this demonic popular culture that we live in, they allow them a voice. And my prayer is that Rumble grows. God bless them, and uh, Father Bill, his video is there, produced uh, very well by LifeSite News. And in the video, you know, they've, they're talking to Father and asking Father you know, his experiences. And I'm relating this back uh, to the passion of our Lord because Father Kaczynski is also a man. And the interviewer you know, poignantly asks Father, you know, what impact has it had on him personally? And he gave an inspired response. And his response was that the Lord in his mercy has allowed us to know about these things and to uncover these things so that we might have a chance to pray for redemption. And I thought that was just an absolutely beautiful response. But Father also said, you know, he's spending time before our Lord this Holy Week and trusting himself to his mercy because he is a human being. He's a man. And he had to hold little tiny hands, little tiny baby hands. He had to to see bits and pieces of human beings. That, that's got to be traumatic. That's suffering. It's suffering and it's unjust. And the fact that you're listening to me talk about it, probably haven't even heard about it, it's not going to be covered in the popular media. We live in a demonic time. I, I can't, it's impossible to, to comprehend and express the, the depths to which the media, the culture, the political elite, if you will, political society, the political class, are committed to the anti-church. They are committed to, to demonic ways, if you want to use the term beliefs, from abortion to the, the lies and, and manipulation and the, the trying to spit in the face of God of, of this transgender nonsense. God made them man and woman, but this movement says no. You know, God creates life. This movement says no. It is demonic. It is the anti-church, and it is embraced, and it has brought suffering to God's people. But we know on this day, almost 2,000 years ago, when our Lord suffered, on Good Friday, that that suffering was set as a witness and an example to you and I. 
Life is not supposed to be without suffering. When we're young, we think otherwise. I mean, I can tell you very matter-of-factly, I didn't think about that when I was a teenager. Nobody wants to suffer. I don't know that anyone listening now wants to suffer. Um, And I'm not volunteering that I do either. But suffering is part of the human condition. And I think it's how we suffer and how we use that suffering. You know, Catholicism is the only religion, the only um, faith on the planet that teaches that suffering is a virtue. And we use that suffering and offer it up for those that we love or asking for mercy from God to help us through this suffering. The Lord knows what's best for us. I think about the scripture often that his ways are not our ways, that his thoughts are not our thoughts. And As human beings, it's very easy to feel sorry for ourselves when when it comes to suffering. Uh, The Lord certainly did not feel sorry for himself when he went through his passion. He very much asked the Lord to take this cup from him, if it be the Lord's will, and that cup stayed, and our Lord drank of it. Many times we suffer, uh, and we can grow bitter. And I would encourage you, one of the things that helps me And again, being on Radio Maria, I would imagine that I'm preaching to the choir. My hope is maybe someone hears this that hasn't thought of this before or doesn't lean on it often. But I have found throughout the last 35, 40 years of my life, the most difficult times uh, when getting through them, the Lord has helped me uh, by leaning on his mother, by leaning on our blessed mother in the rosary. And I'm talking to you today, uh, again, Hugh Brown from the American Life League. I'm talking to you today at a a place and time noon on Fridays. Uh, This happens to be Good Friday because for over a decade, uh, Mr. Jim Sedlak, the executive director of the American Life League and the director and president of STOP, the arm of our organization that battles the devil himself in Planned Parenthood, Jim filled this radio slot for 10 years. I can't tell you how many Fridays I would walk by his office and I would see tape to his door, radio show in progress. And I would say, okay, I will talk to Jim later. And I mentioned Jim because Jim's life not only was uh, defined, I think, by his heroic uh, commitment and unwavering commitment to the truth, in not just fighting abortion, but battling Planned Parenthood, you know, basically the the instrument of death in this country. Uh, Jim's foundation was rooted in Christ through our Blessed Mother. Jim's devotion to our Blessed Mother was strong. And using the word strong doesn't seem strong enough, if you will. Uh, Jim truly had a commitment and a devotion and an inner strength that came from leaning on her intercessory power, the mother of God. And I would tell you that if you don't know the rosary, or maybe you you do know the rosary, uh, I am also in my life, one of the things I do is coach a Catholic high school football team. And that team, that school, St. Michael the Archangel, which is one of the reasons I wanted to talk about St. Michael today. He is a saint and an angel that clearly has a a strong influence in in, in who I am. 
But many of the young men that I have, I'm blessed to be able to coach and mentor and hopefully help them become faithful men, faithful husbands and fathers and workers someday, faithful Christians and maybe even Catholics, some of them who aren't. One of the things that I talk about all the time, Catholic or not, is the rosary. And that our Blessed Mother is the mother of us all, Catholic, non-Catholic, Baptist, you know, you know, atheist, it doesn't matter, created in the image and likeness of God. She is here for all of us, and one need not be Catholic to say the rosary and simply ask her for her help and her love and her devotion and her commitment. And we know that in heaven, what, there is no time. So the millions and millions and millions of rosaries, and hopefully more than that, offered up every day, she has all of the available space and time in, in history, in known existence, to hear and answer our prayers. So as I think back to the passion of our Lord, there's a moment where the, the, the women of Jerusalem see our Lord carrying his cross. And again, our Lord had every, every reason to maybe feel sorry for himself, to, to, to make a comment about this is too much. I, somebody help me out. No, he told those women not to cry for him, but to cry for their children and to mourn for what was to come because our Lord understood the hearts of men and, and wanted repentance and wanted us to love one another. And as I think back to what I was just able to discuss a little bit about Father Bill, uh, I would ask you this Good Friday to, to pray for Father Bill, who two weeks ago when he learned that there were over 100 children whose aborted uh, I hate to say the word body parts. It's just, it's a, it's, it's mind numbing. And father had the strength and the courage to offer up a funeral mass for those babies. And he immediately didn't make known that it was him, but he, he felt compelled, I think, to let us know that the message in all of this is that is horrible and as horrific as that is it, it that happens every hour. Every hour, there are thousands of children killed across this nation, and we do nothing. We do absolutely nothing. Now, many of you listening to this say that's not true. We pray. Yes, we do. Many of us as Catholics, we, we work very hard as Christians, as perhaps uh, people of different faiths, work very hard to try to stop abortion, to try to save as many babies and moms as we can. But the truth is, one of the things that I, I said a few minutes ago is that as Catholics, we want to be able to lean on one another and to trust one another. Well, that was leading up to this comment. You know, we live in a, a day and an age in the Catholic Church where in the minds of many people, being Catholic is, is subjective. It's not an absolute truth. It's not an invincible truth. It's a subjective, depends on where you lean politically truth. And I think that that lie alone is responsible for the majority of the evil in the world. From abortion to contraception, which is something no one wants to talk about, to homosexuality, to divorce, to this nonsensical transgenderism, 
to all the evil and hate foisted on people under the guise of the word woke, that comes many times from leaders, from people in popular society, from people whose names you might recognize from entertainment, from the political class, from some people from within the Catholic Church itself who call themselves Catholic and support things that are antithetical to Christianity, antithetical to Catholicism, antithetical to Christ. Pope John Paul, St. Pope John Paul II, spoke, I think, at the Bicentennial Eucharistic Congress in Philadelphia in 1976, and he spoke very directly of the rise of the anti-church. And that's where we are. You know, I don't think he spoke about something, what would that be, almost 50 years ago, and that it would be coming, you know, what, a millennia from now, but it's where we find ourselves. And on Good Friday, Catholicism can very much be viewed, the Catholic Church, as a house divided. But that's a lie. What I see and what I would like to share with you is that Catholicism and the Catholic Church is not at all a house divided. I don't believe in liberal Catholicism. I don't believe in conservative Catholicism. I think there is faithful I think that those labels were created by people that disagree with something that the Catholic Church teaches. And if we're talking about faith and morals, there can be no disagreement. So there are faithful Catholics and there are folks who are not faithful. And one of the things that I think about often that as our responsibility as pro-life Catholics, as pro-family Catholics, it's almost insane. I mean, how are we going to phrase some of this? Are we now pro-gender Catholics? I mean, the list from the enemy just keeps getting longer and longer and longer. Uh, it, it, it's sad. It's kind of funny, uh, but it's, it, it's just sad. It, it's, it's, I was in our high school this morning and listened to a young man who is a aspiring prospect for the NFL speak to our student body about his walk and his journey and the struggles that, that he's faced and uh, his perseverance is, is an inspiration. And he spoke very much about the fact that while he's not Catholic, he has been influenced tremendously when he's been home from college. He's, he's, he's worked for me over at our high school, helping train some of our, our young men and women. And just that example has helped move him. And uh, God works in very good ways. And one of the things that, that he and I were talking about after his, his talk today is there's a little bit of confusion when he thinks about Catholicism. He sees how we do things and not that we're any better than anybody else. But, you know, well, what about Joe Biden? You know, what about this politician? What about this person who calls themselves Catholic? And very much, you know, uh, supports things that clearly the church teaches are, are, are not just sinful, but grave mortal sins. And as I explained uh, to this young man, um, not only is that just a symptom of the, of the day and age and time that we live in, but it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity for us. I, I can't explain. I can't explain why someone would, would embrace death 
why someone would embrace grave immorality and continue to call themselves Catholic. That's it's not my job to to kick people in or out of, of the Catholic Church. I can simply point out what I think, uh, what we know rather is the truth. And the truth is that abortion is a grave mortal sin. And the church teaches that participation and support of it in any way leads to an automatic excommunication for the good of someone's soul. So without trying to, to cast judgment and aspersion, my response is we have to pray for our enemies. And I think that, you know, our responsibility as pro-life Catholics is that we have to do a better job, I think, of praying for Catholics. Because if the, if, the, if the Catholic Church and the Catholics in America, the Catholics around the world, if our brothers and sisters of all of us, including me, followed our faith more devoutly and lived our lives in line with what our Lord has asked us to do through his bride, the church, a lot of the things that we're dealing with today, we, would, we wouldn't even be discussing because we wouldn't dare offend our Lord. We wouldn't dare go down a path that leads directly not just to sin and death for us, but to others. And, and, in, and in my mind, that's even worse. So I often think when we talk about praying for our enemies, what do we pray how do we, as Catholics, as people of faith, as pro-life, pro-family, men and women that, that really just hope and pray and yearn for the conversion of, of, of our leaders and those in the public square and the political class, we have to pray against pride. That's the prayer. And when I was thinking about preparing for today's show, I struggled with that because I, I say that I pray for our enemies, and often I do. Sometimes I'm human. I'm angry. I'm upset at what I see in the news. It's nonsensical. I'm upset at what I see you know, our Catholic, quote-unquote, Catholic president supporting, who I don't think has been Catholic in, in the 53 years I've been on the planet. You can't support death. You cannot support death. You can't officiate an antichrist gay marriage and call yourself a Catholic. How is that faithful? The church is built on the sacrifice, the blood, and the death of the martyrs who gave their lives for the truth. They didn't say that I have two selves. There's the private me over here and the public me. They didn't say, I support you for the one hour on Sunday that I go to, to Mass, and the other 23 hours and six days, it's all holds barred. So we have to be willing to, to be bold and tell the truth, but we also have to pray against pride. We have to pray specifically against arrogance. It's arrogant to call yourself Catholic and publicly and vehemently support things that are 100% anti-Catholic. And having spent most of my life now, unfortunately, in the pro-life movement, and I say unfortunately because abortion in 50 years you know, has not much has changed, which means that temporarily, as, as we fight, and we have, we've saved a lot of lives, and I don't want to discredit that. 
because every life is sacred and, and the work we've done, we'll never know until we get to the other side. And I'm, I know so many good people that have fought the good fight and I'm sure have saved innumerable lives. But the fact that abortion is still entrenched in the, in the conscience of, of, of the whole world and is fought for with such vehemence by people that refer to themselves even as ministers means that we're fighting a spiritual battle. We war against principalities. And we can bring that all the way back to Good Friday, to Christ in the garden, you know, suffering his agony, uh, being counseled, and I don't even know that that's an appropriate word, but being comforted by angels and thinking that one of those is was St. Michael, you know, who very much loved our Lord and loves us today because of his devotion to Christ, because of his devotion to the Father, because of his devotion to the Holy Spirit. We have to pray for the intercession of the saints and angels. We have to pray for the intercession of the saints and angels in our prayers for those, especially here on Good Friday. Let us pray as, as, we, as we sacrifice, as we fast. What can we pray for? Let us offer up every bit of that suffering for those who claim Christ in the Catholic Church, who claim the, the mantle and the title of Catholicism, who talk about the rosaries they carry in their pockets, but meanwhile support every vile anti-Christ piece of reality that you can think of from transgenderism to homosexuality to abortion to all of the works of the anti-church and the anti-Christ. Let us pray for their conversion. Let us pray that their understanding is replaced by our Lord's understanding. Let us pray that their arrogance and pride is replaced by humility. Many of you listening probably have experienced miracles in your life. We know people or we, we know of people who have been miraculously healed from diseases. We know people that have been miraculously saved, you know, from imminent death in various situations. We know of people whose children or whose spouse or whose relative that they've prayed for and longed for have had a miraculous conversion and come to know Christ or come back to the faith. Those are miracles, and those do not happen on their own. They just don't. They just don't. An awakening is, is from the Holy Spirit. You know, the, the gift of faith is free. It's given to you. It's given to me. It's given to every person created. And whether or not we accept that gift is up to you and I. And that gift is accepted or rejected. Uh, there is no such thing as accepting that gift and then modifying it. How? What does that mean? So I'm born, raised, and embrace and love my Catholic faith, yet I'm going, going to war with my faith in the public square. Privately, I believe these things, but publicly I support sin, death, mayhem, chaos, anarchy, and absolute utter confusion. That's false. That's, that's the rejection of faith. It's very easy to, to believe me. It's very easy to sit 
and want to sit in judgment. It's very easy to get angry about these things. It's very easy to, to I'm not going to say lose faith, but to, to, to lose a little bit of hope in, in what we see from some of our, our, our leaders. But let's, let's come back to us. Let's offer up our prayers for their conversion. Our Lord suffered in the garden. You know, our Lord suffered his passion. Our Lord was beat, scorned to within an inch of his life. Our Lord was made to suffer the most awful humiliations. A beat within an inch of his life and then made to carry a cross that would have crushed him. But he had a little bit of help carrying it. And I think you and I need to do a little bit of a better job, maybe, in helping him carry that cross. Right? Do I particularly want to pray for, for enemies? Not really. I pray for my children every day. I pray for my wife every day. Uh, and I'm often reminded, and I'm certain it's my guardian angel, the Holy Spirit, reminds me to pray for our enemies. And while I don't know Joe Biden, I've never met him. You know, the arrogant part of me, the pride part of me would say, I don't particularly want to meet him, have zero desire. But if I were, I would tell him that I am praying for him. And I do. And I ask God for forgiveness for pride and arrogance because it's very easy as we watch American society sort of slide. And that's being kind. But rather than being angry about it, let's, let's do a better job of praying. We have a resource we have the help of heaven and the saints of angels, which is invincible. So whether there's just a handful of us left at one point or whether there's millions upon millions of us, let us do a better job in praying for our enemies. Our Lord suffered and could have easily, without question, ended all of that in the blink of an eye. And St. Michael, I'm sure, would have been more than happy to lead that. But our Lord suffered and allowed it so that you and I and our enemies might know salvation. And maybe maybe even calling them enemies is the wrong word, right? They're enemies of the truth, certainly. They're enemies of what is right and just. But let us pray. Let us pray and ask for the intercession of our Blessed Mother. Let us pray and ask for the intercession of the saints and angels for their conversion of heart. And in that conversion of heart, let's be specific in our prayer and ask the Lord to, to transform the hearts of all Americans and that America itself would return to, I believe, what the Lord intended and what the Lord intended in the creation of this country by the men and women that helped found it many years ago. Uh, and we all talk about it today from the idea of liberty, justice, and freedom. Uh, that freedom should not include the blood of the innocents. You know, last week was Palm Sunday, and as a homily that I listened to talked about the Passover of our Lord and the blood of the Lamb, you know, being uh, painted onto the, the threshold to the doorpost of every house, and that the angel of death was passing over the Israelites that had uh, painted um, the blood of the lamb on uh, their thresholds. 
thinking about talking today, I, I, in concluding, I thought about the blood of the innocents. You know, we talk when it comes to abortion, we throw numbers around and it's, it's mind numbing, right? The death of one person in our lives is tragic and sometimes very difficult to, to, to get past without the help and grace of Almighty God and good friends and, and good priests and good loved ones that pray for us and help us. But when we talk about abortion in America, you know, the, the number 65 million children that we're aware of, right? That number doesn't include chemical abortions. How do you comprehend somewhere between 65 and 100 million people? You can't. It's impossible. So when we think about America, America has basically painted the threshold of our country in the blood of the innocents. So on Good Friday, as we pray for the conversion of hearts of, of those in public life, maybe family members we know, of those that claim Catholicism but support things, things that are clearly anti-Catholic and lead to the slaughter and deaths of children, we have to pray for the conversion of America. Because abortion, I'm absolutely convinced, it, it's not a temporal battle. We have to fight, yes. We have to save every human being one at a time. God has a plan, and it's our, our moral responsibility and obligation to fight that good fight, uh, to try to save as many as possible. But we also have got to recognize and realize that after 50 years, you know, the devil is entrenched. He's rooted. And as Catholics, we have a, a grave responsibility to pray and war against that. And in praying for the conversion of those in public life and praying for the conversion of those that maybe in our personal lives or in our communities uh, bear some responsibility for the devil being ingrained because of their outright support of abortion while claiming Catholicism. Praying for their conversion, yes, but also praying very sternly for the conversion, very devoutly rather, uh, very purposefully for the conversion of America. Because abortion um, is not is not going to end with laws. It's not going to end with Supreme Court justices. It's not going to end because we have miracle legislation. It's going to end when we convert the hearts and minds of people to simply understanding that a child created in the womb is a human being. This is not rocket science. But yet, look where we are. Look what that's led to. You know, not to think that abortion is the gravest of all evils is a mistake. Look what it's led to. It's led to the explosion of the acceptance of, of homosexuality, which is an immoral, anti-Christ behavior. It has nothing to do with God's plan for, for men and women. It's led to the creation of this transgender confusion, which again is demonic. God made them man and woman, period. And whether you have surgeries or hormones or whatever, your biology and your DNA, you are who you are, created the image and likeness of God. Anything other than that is a deceit. The root of all that is deception, right? You're a biological male. Well, you're not a man. That's a deception. You're a man who wants to marry another man. That's not God's intent for your life. That's a deception. The devil is a great deceiver, and what we can't be is aids in that deception. And I see this often in working with high schoolers, even in a Catholic high school. The world has gone absolutely overboard and intentional 
in trying to not just deceive, but to lead people straight to hell. You know, we're not, it's interesting to me because we're not supposed to talk about that, right? I mean, I hear people all the time say, well, we don't want to come across as judgmental. We don't want to, you know, we don't want to frighten people. Well, I'm, I'm not sure what the alternative is. It is an acceptance of sin, right? Christ, the, the greatest example we have, I think, from Scripture is Christ when he met the woman at the well. She was about to be stoned to death by men, right? The guy that she had committed adultery with, he wasn't there. That tells you a little bit something about the society at that time. No, but they're more than willing to jump on the bandwagon, bandwagon and kill her. And Christ simply said, you know, any of us here without sin, or any of you here without sin, please cast the first stone. And one by one, the crowd dispersed. And the Lord told her, I don't condemn you. I don't judge you. Where's the crowd gone? And he simply told her to, to go on to live her life, but to sin no more. And that's not what we hear today. What we hear today is that sin is in. Sin is the thing. And if we don't support it, and God forbid we actually speak up against it, that you and I are some type of uh, what I, we got, I got have to Google it. Uh, we're some type of phobe. We're a hater. We're a this. We're a that. We're a bigot. That is a deception. Deception is the work of the devil. Deception is the work of the enemy. And it's the instruments of the enemy that we have to pray against, also pray for, and pray for their conversion. Because the devil isn't standing here doing the work by himself. That's not the way this works. If you think about some of the best, most humble, hardworking people you know in your life that have sacrificed for others, those are generally mothers. Those are generally grandmothers. Those are the people that I think of. Fathers who sacrifice for their family, families. Priests that sacrifice for their, their flock. Teachers, the most underappreciated people on the planet, that sacrifice for their classrooms full of children. Police officers, paramedics, soldiers, people that sacrifice for you and I that we'll never even meet. The heart of that is, is love. The heart of that is love for neighbor. Christ said the greatest thing we can do, the greatest commandment is to love thy neighbor as thyself. And you don't see love in deception. It isn't love to abort a child because we're sparing a woman by murdering her child. That's nonsense. It isn't love to affirm someone who says, I'm, I'm coming out. I'm, I'm a homosexual, I'm gay, and there's nothing that can be done about it. This is the way God made me. That is not true. That's a deception. It's a lie. Temptation and feelings that lead to sin don't define you. God made you in his image and likeness. Anything outside of that for any of us is a temptation. But to embrace it, to embrace it is a deceit. For a parent, I, this is one, I, as horrible as abortion is, as, as awful as some of the, the, the sins that are now sold to our children as mainstream, this whole idea that you can have a, a, a baby boy or a baby girl, a toddler, a child, uh, an elementary school student, and we're going to chemically castrate that young man because he thinks he's a little girl. 
to me should be an absolute, it should put you, put the parents away for, for 30 years. It's insanity. It's an injustice. It's immoral. We have to have the moral courage to stand against the sins of this hour. This is Good Friday. Christ suffered his agony in the garden to bear witness to you and I that standing against evil is what we are called to do. We have to do it firmly. We do it in love. We do it in humility, but we do it without flinching. He bore the greatest example and the greatest witness. Look what they did to him. How could we expect anything less? The world will come at you for opposing abortion, opposing homosexuality, opposing transgenderism, opposing the lies of the world as hateful bigotry, this, that, whatever, whatever the, the slander of the hour is. But we should have no fear. We should have no fear. We should embrace the truth and be willing to tell it because people need to hear it. Young people need to have the confusion cleared for the good of their own souls. I have often said to, to, to my children, you can end up homeless, living under an overpass. And if you pass away and you're escorted into heaven, welcomed with open arms, you win. The world tells us the exact opposite. We have to uh, accumulate, assume, and consume as much as we possibly can. And that somehow is success. It's not. You know, rooted in our Lord's sacrifice was humility. Rooted in our Lord's sacrifice for you and I today, 2,000 years ago, was love. Telling people the truth in love but in firmness is what we have to do, and we can't be afraid to do that. And my closing thought and closing prayer today, I would ask that the Lord lead us and guide us and help us to understand his will in our lives and to help us to understand where we can be of greatest impact in the lives of our families, in the lives of our communities, in the lives, in the life of America. Because America needs saints. It needs strong, bold people. It needs humble people. It needs people rooted in the truth. And we cannot be afraid. The greatest example we have was given 2,000 years ago today in what our Lord suffered. We owe him everything. We're gifted with this life. We didn't create ourselves. I'm not sitting here talking to you and you're not listening because of some something we did. We were put here in this hour, in this place, and this time for a reason. And my prayer is that I always, God willing, you know, do do what the Lord wills. And when I don't, that's what I love about our faith. We have the sacrament of confession. And as Catholics, we are so blessed with the sacraments. We are so blessed to have Christ in the Eucharist. We are so blessed to have the ability to, to go to reconciliation. My prayer for you, brothers and sisters, is that you have a, a blessed Good Friday. I, let us pray for one another. Our Lord is risen on Easter Sunday. Let us pray for America. Let us pray for our, our enemies. And let us trust the Lord's will in our life. This is Hugh Brown, and I thank you so much for listening today on Radio Maria.